Hey there, believers. Let's get through this commercial break first so we can enjoy a full show. Want to be prepared for anything that 2024 throws at you from day-to-day life to a national emergency? From the office to the outdoors, then check out SquatchSurvivalGear.com. All packs are made in America, and all components of all packs are made in America. From the fabric to the frame, so you're supporting multiple small businesses when you shop with Squat Survival Gear. Chris, the owner, is a military vet, so all packs are made beyond mil-spec. These things are bomb-proof, and I use my gear daily. I use the Mothman pack going back and forth to work, and my Rock Ape pack stays loaded out in the Jeep. Go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com and get the piece of gear for the peace of mind today. Use promo code BUMP24 to save 15% site-wide. That's B-U-M-P-24 to save 15% site-wide. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. So now that we have this knowledge, we have to remember to walk in 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, When he turned his back from shoulder to shoulder, it looked like as wide as the tailgate of a truck. This thing let out the most blood-curdling, mind-blowing, spine-tingling scream that you've ever heard in your life, and it cut through me like a knife. And I knew that they were going to take me. I just knew it. And then the next thing I can remember is being levitated. Well, when I look in there, uh, I see two big eyes staring back at me. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for the believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. Join us, and we'll go face-to-face with what goes bump in the night. I got another great episode for you this week. Um, off to a good start this year. Um, this week, I'm bringing on Leslie and Stephen Shaw. They are co-authors of the book, Who They Are and What They're Up To. Um, you can imagine probably by the cover art, if you've looked at it, that we're talking about UFOs. We're talking about aliens. I haven't read the book yet. Um, I meant to order it, you know how it is, but I'm glad I didn't. Um, and I'm glad I haven't heard the Shaw's on any other podcast yet, because as you know, I like to hear things for the first time. Um, it makes for a more authentic conversation. Uh, I don't have to plan things. Uh, it's just, it's just good. Um, I, I feel like I'll, I probably work better off the cuff anyway. I, I don't want to sound rehearsed. I, I want to hear it for the first time as we record and uh, just see what comes naturally. But 
I have a list of questions that I just in general want to know. Um, I'm going to, I want to ask about, about these UFOs because there's, you know, the jury's still out there. We've had snippets of disclosure. We've had people that are experts in the field of disclosure, um, as much as you can be. We've had whistleblowers. We've had all kinds of stuff go on. Yet, we're kind of still in the dark as to uh, who or what is flying them. Or, or what, we look, what we're looking at, even, is, is the whole thing some kind of biological entity? Um, or is it a craft? Or is it a celestial being? Why are they here? Where do they come from? You know, to, to say that these are not of Earth, okay, great. Not our technology, okay. So tell us what they are. And that's why I think this book is going to accomplish who they are and what they're up to is the name of the book. Um, let's go ahead and just bring the Shaws on and let's let's get it going. Let's see. Let's see who they are. <laughs> it got it. All right, you got it. Yes, we got it. All right, man. Well, Leslie and Stephen, thank you very much for joining me this week. Um, let's start by just telling me a little bit about yourself. Like, where are you from, and what got you into UFOs? We, uh, we're from Southern California. Uh, we live out in the desert um, east of Los Angeles near Palm Springs in a community called Desert Hot Springs. Uh, we're both UFO witnesses, and we believe Stephen's family has been victims of the abduction phenomenon for about three generations. Yes, that's correct. And uh, as far as my background, I grew up in Woodland Hills, California, which is near Encino. And... My background was military as a woodworker, a doctor of acupuncture, a Tai Chi teacher, wearing different hats, a, a musician most of my life. And uh, I was a journalist for 18 years. So um, as the writer in the family, I did most of the writing of the book, but uh, we're both uh, collaborators on our theories. And uh, Stephen's been a sounding board for many years and also the source of the inspiration for the book. Yes, that's that's correct. From his early experiences. But I saw my first one, finally. <laughs> I had to just believe, Steve, you know. I believe you, darling. I believe you. But somehow there was, I 95% believed him. And then that, we the day you finally see it, then now it's 100% we believe it. We just, we were together when we saw uh, my first one, which was in an 05. It was just a ball of light in the sky that, in front of our car and uh, it just seemed to get brighter and brighter and just be hovering um, as we approached it. And then it shot away over the Northern horizon and gone in about a quarter of a second, not even a whole second. And uh, it streaked out into a long white line and then the line, it, then the line collapsed behind it. I would have estimated it going at, I don't know, 10,000 miles an hour, something wow. like that. Roughly. Yeah. I mean, a white light in the sky can be many things, but it when it moves like that, it, it can't be anything else. Also, they didn't like slowly 
ramp up to speed and and go at that speed it just instantaneously was at speed wow and then her second one was just about two and a half three years ago that this, was here. yeah it was very similar here in desert hot springs a white light in the sky but moving in inexplicable ways but stephen's early were uh early experiences with the abduction phenomenon i think was really the impetus for us writing yes i, I first started when i was three years old i would have this uh friendly being that would visit me um, again living in woodland hills that would be jumping on my my stomach and my chest when i was three years old in the middle of the night and just you know playfully but it's invisible invisible no i couldn't see it at least with you no know, visibly and then fat, you know, various other things happened in between but when i was about nine years old i was sleeping in a bunk bed in the same house and i was awakened by this odd sound in the house and i got out of the bunk bed and i was walking down the hallway which was very dimly lit and i know i was awake because my heart was pounding and i was very anxious and just as i was going to turn the corner into the living room i just black out and the next thing i know it's about several hours i don't know two or three hours later that i'm back in my bunk bed sleeping and i have no awareness at all as far as what happened in between that this missing time thing happens again and again in the family. His brother described it, and, and he said it was he. Yes, and then a couple of years later, I guess it was ten or ten or eleven, I saw my first UFO, and that UFO was a large orange ball that was just hovering in the sky, then started moving from north to south, about nine thirty at night, and it was obviously it was not a plane. It was not going in a directional plane. It was not behaving like a plane. So I called Griffith Park Observatory the next night and I talked to one of the uh, astronomers there and asked if they'd seen anything. They and hadn't heard anything. They hadn't yeah. heard anything. Said so we don't we don't point our our our, our uh, telescopes in that direction. So they hadn't heard anything. And then there was one off Malibu that I thought was yes. fascinating. The one off of Malibu was interesting because I had a witness with me. I had the Car Valley. I was at the Chart House. Off of Malibu. This was in November because the Boston Red Sox were playing the uh, New York Yankees in 2005 in the playoff. And I was going out to get my car and it was coming. It came out of the ocean, which was interesting. And it again, it was white. It hovered there for a while. And we both looked at each other. Then it did some crazy movements and it shot off. He said, you saw that, right? And said, yes. Interestingly, uh, off of the coast of Malibu, there apparently is a real hot spot as far as for USOs. And there's supposed to be like an underwater uh, structure on uh, yes. that, uh, off of Malibu. Which I, that, I didn't I didn't know that about. It's very it. strange. I, yeah. I, I had no clue about that. No, the, the, the other one that I saw without Leslie was just a couple of years later. Many people saw that it was a daytime sighting. It was a silver object that was hovering over Yucca Valley. Yucca Valley Joshua Tree area that was called into the radio station 1077 and people were calling it in and it was I saw it too driving down the pass so those those are the UFOs that I have seen and then um, the strange uh thing one time happened in the house he uh at the Fallbrook house in Woodland Hills he was asleep on the sofa uh and uh then he he woke up and he was aware he was awake, but then some the this white light being came. Right? I was eighteen years old. Yes, to to preface that, I was sleeping on the sofa because I had been scared from the night before. The night before, I was sleeping in my my bunk bed. I was eighteen, and you no, know, my dad and my sister and I were living together, and 
to make a long story short, I was awakened by this sound that was like a like a whizzing like sound. a whizzing sound. And the hallway was was partially lit. So I could see down the hallway. My door was open. So I just thought it was this, you know, I don't know. I just you know, try and dismiss things. So I rolled over onto my left side to go to sleep. And then I then my bed started being pushed from the base, two distinct pushes, like somebody's just going push, push. And I thought, well, maybe I moved or maybe it's a small earthquake or something. And and then I tried to go back to sleep again. Then it pushed a little harder. And then the third time it pushed harder. And then the fourth time I got three distinct taps on my right shoulder. Tap, 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 just like an index finger. And at this point, I was both scared and a little bit ticked off, quite frankly. <laughs> so, you know, what do you want? Just talk to me, whatever. And I rolled over and I said, what? And it was not there. And then I black out. I didn't go and tell my dad, didn't tell my sister. So leading up to what Leslie was saying. The next morning. And... The fo following night, I decided I'm going to sleep in the living room. I don't want to sleep in that room again. So I slept, I slept in the living room and I woke up about, this is January, 1979. So it was dark and woke up about 5.30 in the morning or so and looked at my piano because I'm a, a pianist and accordionist. I, I was awake. I was thinking about what I was going to play and whatnot. And I said, no, it's too early to get up. So just laying there on my back and from behind me, about 30 feet from behind from the front door, this tall being, blue white, very specifically blue white, not blue or not white, very intense blue white, about six to seven feet tall. But it, was, it was erect and it came. It was like it was walking, but it was more like it was floating because it moved so quickly within about a second and a half to two seconds, came to my right side and bent down to me and paralyzed the right side of my body and said, I stay in a whisper and i thought oh this is the family spirit guide that i heard about since being a child called old glegly that some people have seen from time to time in times of need or whatever and i both wanted to see and look at the creature directly the being but i was both scared and i was excited because i couldn't move any part of the right side of my body and after an indeterminate amount of time it left it seemed like it was a few seconds but to this day at first, I thought, well, I must have to told my dad, but I can't remember telling my dad. Once again, he can't until, remember right Until after. later. Yeah. The only thing I can tell you for a fact is that six hours later, I was going to go get some lunch, and I reach into the right side of my pocket, the same clothes I was wearing that I went to sleep in, and I pulled out coins, and all the coins, I could pick up the coins with the coins. These were all American coins, the standard American coins. They'd been magnetized. They'd been all been magnetized. This is six hours after it happened. My dad and I, both being cabinet makers at the time, we looked at each other and said, that's not possible. Okay, and I, I'm still looking for an answer to that. Yeah, because the coins are specifically designed not to be magnetic. So they correct. work inside cigarette machines and, you know, or and, drink and, machines. And, right? and, a, and a few nights before that, my sister, dad, and I all experienced the same thing. A silver bell being rung inside the wall by the chimney. Um, we all heard that. And we were, first my dad heard it. Then he went to go get me in my room. Then I, we got my sister, who actually, incidentally, she's a ghost hunter with her husband now <laughs> in, in, Scotland, in northern, yeah. in northern uh, England. Uh, in northern so England, she's yeah. kind of funny. She didn't want to have anything to do with any of the paranormal stuff at the time she was a born-again christians but but it was as, as definitely the sound of a silver bell 
And all these things happened within about a week's period of time in 1979. And his brother also uh, reported incidents. He actually saw a gray alien in his room one time and then blacked out. And another time he said he heard a scrabbling. He was laying in bed. He heard a scrabbling and he reached down thinking he was going to pet the cat and an, a hand grabbed his arm. And oh, wow. again, he blacked out. So uh, the, the incident follows the family. And um, it's, at first I thought it sounded kind of like a haunting, but really it follows the family all over the place, different locations, different houses they've lived in. And uh, and I, we wouldn't know what for sure what was going on, except Philip did see the gray alien finally he, one he time. Saw, he, too, he also saw two white lights outside of his uh, bedroom yeah. in Sonora, California. This this is the house that my, my dad and I built. So, But these are more like the reason we wrote the book. It's not right. really about what the it's not so much about what the book's about. We started researching about 20 years ago the phenomenon and immediately we noticed that UFO fact and UFO theories were not in alignment. And so whenever you find that to be the case, what you have to do is throw out your theories and start over. And and that's what we did. And over the last 20 years, we've cobbled together a, um, a theory that does fit the facts as far as we can tell. And, um, you know, it has to do with um, the, the Hiawatha asteroid impact was something that we we're pretty sure had happened because we knew that 13,000 years ago, uh, there was a mass extinction of event. Uh, the North America lost all our large animals of the plains. We lost the mastodon and the mammoth and the dire wolf and the saber-toothed cat all at the same time. And the Clovis people disappeared. And, and the Clovis people also disappeared at the same time. And uh, then nano diamonds were discovered in the soil of 13,000 years old soil and those are um, only formed in celestial impacts of some kind so we knew 13,000 years ago there was a meteor or an asteroid impact on the planet um, but nobody could find the crater and uh, finally it has been discovered it was discovered in 2016 under the Hiawatha glacier in northern Greenland there's an impact crater of a large asteroid about um, one and a half, uh, one half miles in diameter, about this uh, kilo, kilos. Uh, yes, I mean, it's um, about the size of downtown of uh, Washington D.C. And uh, yeah, right, uh, Washington D.C. would fit inside the crater, and this would have caused enormous uh, tsunamis, worldwide tsunamis, and uh, it would be incredibly destructive. And uh, finally, that that was discovered, and that was integral to our theories. One of our theories is that the um, the aliens and us are actually cousins, much closer cousins than people realize. And that we are a race, a race of people that separated from each other 13,000 years ago. And we believe this is because of the Hiawatha asteroid impact. And she's talking about the, the Ucello? Yes, the Ucello horizon is the layer of soil about 13,000 years old. And they discovered a high concentration of these nano diamonds in that soil near um, upper, you know, in, in um, the east part of the North American continent, the northeast part, oh. and that's where the highest concentration was. So we surmised for years that, of course, the uh, crater is probably under the ice sheet, and that's exactly what it was. But mm. finally, the um, the ice sheet has melted enough where it was dis uh, the discovery was so possible. We, so we could dovetail them together as far as like we have the mm -hmm. dead body, we just had to find the murderer. So now we've <laughs> uh, now we've linked them together. So. 
right. Wow. Wow. All right. I cannot wait to dig into this. Um, <laughs> that that was. I'm going to have to go back a little bit. Um, I want sure. I want to get into this book, but you mentioned something. Uh, something, Leslie, when you were talking about how it sounded like his childhood experiences or his his experiences of his youth and his family were experiencing these things, that it almost sounded like it was paranormal, but it wasn't. Um, because eventually you, was it your brother that actually got to see the gray? Yes. Yes. And, uh, that's how, that, that would be one very distinct way to know that it was otherworldly or it was something other than. Right. Uh, just a paranormal experience. Cause, cause it does sound like poltergeist activity at first, right. With the bed being right. bumped and all this stuff. But, uh, and it sounds more like a haunting, but hauntings tend to be at one location. This, yeah. this this phenomenon has followed me to at least six different homes. Yeah, and his brother oh. all over the place too. You know. Yeah. So, you, they first, you mentioned... it first happened to them in Woodland Hills, and then they built a house up in uh, Sonora, California, about middle California, and uh, the family was commuting back and forth a lot. And uh, but they the the uh, phenomenon followed them for sure. Yes. Yes. Um. Which that that in itself is kind of frightening that something can follow you know can find you and follow you around. It, it shows you that you are subject to it uh, in in a way. But yeah, I wanted to ask you. Device. Yeah, Stephen, you <laughs> talked about something called Oglegly. Oglegly was the name I was taught uh, from my mom and my dad that. Several different people had seen him. He he would manifest uh, as a tall black man uh, wearing a red fez, uh, supposedly from Tunisia. And it was interesting because my uncle, who married my my mom's older sister, who wasn't blood related to us at all, uh, was visited by him when he was in Salon, when he was in the uh, uh, Royal Air Force at the time after World War II, which, of course, is now Sri Lanka. And he was told in the middle of the night, he was uh, told, get out of your bunk, or you're going to be killed. And uh, like about five minutes later, he, he got out, he got out of his bunk and there was a uh, some of the natives or some of the, uh, I guess, the militants, whatever, that didn't want them there. They raided the camp and several men were killed. So, and my 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 uncle was um, a very bright man, and he was very into you know researching things like Yuri Geller. And there was there was no disbelief at all that there was some type of connection. You know, we didn't know what it was, and I just assumed that it was you know uh, a spiritual type thing, but. For having when I when I had my coins magnetized in my pocket, that was some force that I don't think um, is related to a ghost. It sounds electromagnetic uh, in, in nature, and that would also call, account for the paralysis. Yes, because we are electric beings, right? And if you put enough current through us, it we freeze. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point too. That is a good point, and I w I wanted to ask you too. You you had these blackout experiences. Did you? Do you think that at that time that you were being being abducted, like were you being taken off site? Did you wake up to any marks on your body or anything? Well, one thing that's interesting, when I had a 
severe injury when I was working back on the 29 Palms military base back in 2013. I was doing support for the Afghani training with the Marines and such like that. And we were, un I was unloading a, a U-Haul uh, at night and it was a U-Haul that didn't have a proper bumper. It had, you know, you know, there were spaces in between the bumper and I was, I jumped off onto the loading dock. I understand Leslie. Okay. And I fell between, I, I basically, I basically broke my, broke my right arm, dislocated, broke it and fractured it and, and tore my uh, rotator cuffs. So anyway, so I had, they took me to the hospital about two and a half, two and a half hours later, I got to the hospital and they x-rayed me and they found in my deltoid muscle, they found this strange metallic object, little, ele elliptical little, object. <laughs> little oblong object yeah. that wasn't even close to where any of the brakes they didn't, they didn't think I even had a brake at the time. I asked the, the, uh, I asked the x-ray tech, he says, well, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's an old injury, but it's, it's in a weird place. And and then when they performed surgery on to repair the, he had actually shattered his scapula in in three uh, seven places, I believe. And uh, after the surgery, the uh, the X ray showed the thing as being gone. Presumably, the surgeon saw it and threw it away. Or we, something. we weren't we weren't actually at that time. We weren't thinking about writing a book. No, and I, we my head wasn't in that place. But. And uh, also, we had we hadn't seen the X rays until later when we examined. I them do have closely. a copy. Yeah. Of, I do have a copy of the X ray though. Yeah, and <laughs> I just need to get it blown up enough to be able to confirm that it was there. So that's but, that's one thing on my bucket list. But these these tracking devices have, have been documented in many 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 abductees oh, on my yeah. right arm, which yeah. is always I always get things happening on my right arm. And just <laughs> recently, I've had stuff happen here at the house just within the last two weeks, in the last yeah. month it's or so, being, that are there are odd things that happen. It's it strange. Like what we're finding, and this is true for Stephen, and we think other people, as we, as they become older, they stop taking the adults away physically taking the adults and they begin taking the children and mm. then they'll start taking the grandchildren it's like they find a dna strand that they like and they keep they keep taking it again and again but as we become older i think maybe our dna is not as viable or whatever and they stop taking the adults and but they don't stop communicating with them i'm finding that to be true all the time they're still they still influence them and they still enter their their wake their um astral state and communicate yeah we do think that you're we're definitely for whatever reason in the uh, hypnopompic and hypnagogic state when you're going into sleep and coming out of out of sleep that we are more um open to uh, communication and that's seems to be for instance i was i was i got into bed about about 10 days ago and leslie hadn't gone to bed yet so i got into bed and it felt exactly like somebody had gotten in, like gotten into bed next to me. And I knew it wasn't Leslie. So I said, okay, okay, okay. What do you want? You know, I just, <laughs> I just, it's happened to me so many times that it's just like, you know, what do you want now? You know, okay, what do you want now? So anyway, so I ended up going to sleep and I, I woke up about, again, about five o'clock in the morning, like I usually do. And I was laying on my back and Again, on my right side, some being or somebody said in a neutral voice, husband, you know, just like somebody just said it right. It wasn't in my head. It was just like somebody whispered to me or my ear, husband. No, Leslie's never called me husband. It was just like, okay, what's going on? You know, it, it's it's just so, <laughs> well, you know, when it's happened to you so many times, like yeah. 
I've been hundreds of times where I've been going to sleep, getting relaxed, and there'll be like a distinct knock of going three times behind my head of the wall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for most people, it would freak them out. But it's like, okay, you know. Just again. It's again, it's again. you know. It's like if you get hit in the face a hundred times, a hundred and one doesn't really mean that much. So, right. so for me, it's like I, I didn't tell many of my friends at all when I was in school because they think I was just weird, you know, <laughs> you know. But you no, know, this is just one of these things. It was just I didn't talk about it. You know, we knew about it in the family, but we really didn't talk about it except in the family. Right. Well, thank goodness you have an open family. That you know, I, I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They they, uh, his parents one time described a, the ceiling opening opening up, and these little little he, they described them as Chinese men descending out of the hole in the ceiling and dancing around on Chinese. That was New my Year. mom. Yeah. She she was in one room. My dad was having a totally different experience in his room. Obviously, they're they're being their memories of the events are being influenced. Obviously, right. and I, I we see that a lot, especially in uh, the abductions. They're frequently they they come back with memories that are kind of pasted on top that are not right in any way right, right? Yeah, you, right. yeah yeah you mm -hmm. you you probably don't you haven't read the book you know uh, but uh my my brother my brother ended up on his 51st birthday in 19 2017 he ended up killing both his cats and taking a shotgun to my mom and and blowing, blowing her head off and then blowing his head off Yes, we he think just, he was a very disturbed man for and he's a brilliant man, but he spent his whole life in fear. And uh, when he was a child, he would sleep in the closet, afraid of the little men. Uh, this this phenomenon is definitely it leaves scars, leaves scars on their, the individuals. And yeah. it's it's it needs to be explained. And I'm, we're so tired of the government just <laughs> lying and lying and lying and lying and yeah lying. that's that's a big motivation for his reading for his writing the book right yes. absolutely well I, I totally understand why you would want to expose this darkness you know this get get to the root of all of it um i i'm i'm sorry for the experiences that your family's had to go through man uh and i can't help but wonder what is it is it bloodlines is it blood type is it you know a certain nationality that they're drawn to they're actually we we researched him pretty well um uh, it's a bizarre thing and it, this is one of the things that didn't fit that where ufo fact and theory were not aligning theories were saying that they're just curious about us they want to take all oh, samplings of different people from all all different walks of life and and uh different cultures but that isn't what's happening. What's happening is that it's almost entirely a Caucasian phenomenon. About 90%. Uh, 94.6%, uh, one study I, uh, we uh, researched. And uh, also, they don't take just a smattering of, like a, a single sampling. Um, single abductions, single time abductions are rare. What they mm -hmm. mostly do is take the same person again and again and again and again all through their lives. And then, like I say, when that person gets a little bit older, they'll start taking the children and they'll start taking the grandchildren. It's like they find a, a DNA strand that they like and they, uh, they continue to need it and go after it. Harvesting a product. It's like they're harvesting a product. And in, in our book, I make the analogy of a, like a farmer's cow. 
the farmer every day, every morning, he abducts the cow from the field and takes it into the barn and removes this product that he wants. And then he puts the cow back out into the field to go make more of this product so that he can then abduct the cow again and take it. It seems to me that that's, that they're harvesting a product that they need. We believe it has to do with their uh, bizarre breeding program and, uh, we also believe that, remember we said earlier that we think they're cousins of ours. Yeah. We think that they may be a branch of the Caucasian race that separated 13,000 years ago. And that's why they're after that particular strand of DNA. It's because that's what they need. Is this, would that be the Clovis people? No, the Clovis people were an um, uh, early American uh uh, very ancient Americans that you know were a hunting hunter and gatherers uh, in the North America. They were native to North America. Yeah, they, yes. and they were wiped out by the um, the Hiawatha asteroid impact, as well as all the the, the large animals of the plain. Yeah, the, the the Hiawatha. What it did, it it's it's the in the Ucello horizon. Those uh, it's like an inch layer thick of of carbon. Which shows there was there was a mass yeah. burn that happened on four different continents, at least ten different countries, all at the same time. So, yeah. So we know there was a conflagration that happened. We and also there's been there's at least about twelve hundred different separate flood myths that confirm that there was a major catastrophe that happened. Yes. Yeah, so we time. we so, surmise that this is the the yes. source of the flood myths, the great flood of of old. Hmm. It it happened. Uh, it, you know, America. I mean, um, rather. Human history never, almost never penetrates further than 13,000 years ago. Just seems like a demarcation point of, of history that just never goes right. back any further. And um, well, now we know why, because the, this what, catastrophe would have been, uh, well, a, a catastrophe. catastrophe. <laughs> yeah. uh, Imagine a thousand foot high tsunamis uh, worldwide. Also, um, when it hit the ice sheet, it vaporized 1,500 gigatons of ice at the same, at that instantly. And a gigaton is uh, 1 billion metric tons. So 1,500 of those were uh, vaporized and entered the atmosphere as water vapor, probably covered the top half of the planet in uh, highly saturated rain clouds that immediately dumped uh, enormous amounts of fresh water into the ocean, causing the currents to stop uh, feeding properly, which at the time this hit, we were in the process of uh, coming out of an ice age slowly. Uh, but, about, but when the, uh, the asteroid impacted, it threw us right back into the ice age. We just reversed course and went right back in. For about 1,100 years. Right. In fact, the Ucello horizon, that charcoal layer, is immediately followed by another layer called the Younger Dryas boundary that um, was evidence of uh, climate change upheavals that lasted for about 1,000 years after the impact. Wow. Wow. Very well researched indeed. Thank you. <laughs> you know... Uh, we think I, they're hiding underground, you know, I mean, we have so many testimonials to uh, uh, there's there, the Admiral Byrd um, evidence about yes. uh, meeting an underground race. The uh, the fact that they're seen coming up out of lakes, out of 
volcanoes, out of the sides of mountains and mesas, uh, out of the ocean. Uh, we believe they're here. They're not coming from distant star systems. We think they share the planet with us and have been here for thousands of years. Well, yeah, let, let's do that. Let, let's get into that. Um, what, let's, you know, like, uh, like I was saying on the pre-intro, I, I had a few questions. Um, let, let's go ahead and just d jump into the meat of the book if you don't want, if you don't mind. Um, like the who who is flying these things and where are they from and why are they here? I think you've touched on that uh, a bit, but let's uh, let's flesh some of that out and maybe while while we what else we could weave into there is why is it so common to see them now? Well, that's because uh, well, according to our theories, again, that was something that never that didn't line up. Yeah. Um, they were being seen 10,000 times a year, every year for years and years and years, all of the, you know, as, as long as we've been tracking reporting and, uh, supposedly reporting is only at about 10%. So if they're seen 10,000 times a year, and I mean, only reported 10,000 times a year, they're probably seen more like a hundred thousand. And the idea that they're coming here from a distant star system that often just stretched credulity to us. It just didn't make sense. And sure enough, uh, when you look deeper into what we found, we don't think they're coming from distant star systems at all. I, I boil it down to one word, which I always use as necessity. Um, if you have a, of, of, of a need for something to survive, you're going to seek that out. As an example, the proliferation of cow mutilations, they always take the sex organs, they take the eye, they take exsanguinate the blood, they, right. they take, as an example, if you were to go underground and you would take, you know, herd animals and you would have to take some food source with you to separate, you know, you're going to separate, you, if you had the technology to create huge underground cities and you had geothermal down there you had a certain amount of light you had all the water you need and you found out after being knocked back into the stone age time after time after time again by meteorites or asteroid impacts in fact what we found in our book and one of our chapters we show just how frequently asteroids and meteorites of large size actually do hit the earth and we also found, too, that human beings as Homo sapiens sapiens have been around for at least 120,000 years at the bare minimum. Right. So that would have given us plenty of time to rise and fall as civilizations many times over. Right. We, we didn't, like as Leslie says, Leslie will tell you. you know. it's, 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 uh, it's like the mainstream archaeology would have us believe that we sat around for 107,000 years mm -hmm. with making no advancements at all, still in caves, still hunter-gatherers, when suddenly 13,000 years ago, we just decided to get some gumption and do something with ourselves. But that's, that's lunacy. Uh, the Homo sapiens have been in existence for at least 120,000 years. And my guess is that our civilization has risen and fallen and risen and fallen a few times. You, you, it could have risen and fallen seven times in that time span. And the evidence for uh, what the civilization was like before the Hiawatha impact, almost nothing remains. 
the only thing that we have are some of these enormous megalithic constructions attributed to people that in no way could have built them. Yeah, Saksuaman is, yeah. is a good example. Pumapunku, the, the, the Inca had bronze tools, and these are granite blocks or andesite, which is even harder than most granite. Yeah, on the most most scale seven, which yeah. is, is you can, part of the granite. You can whack a, a piece of granite with a, a bronze tool all day, and you'll just wreck the tool. It, it right. won't make a dent in it. And the other thing we found, too, which was, I think, quite interesting is the fact that in all these these flood myths, you'll find one commonality. The commonality is that everybody had a warning. Either get to high ground, build an ark, or go underground, build a city like uh, Darren Kuyu in southern Turkey on the plateau, uh, the Anatolian plateau. There was forewarning of maybe a few years. So there, people had knowledge. So whoever was on the planet at the time knew enough that we were going to get hit either it was unintentional or it was intentional but what we what they what we do know for a fact is that there was forewarning there was foreknowledge and that's very important in that there was a, an advanced civilization right so right before hiawatha strikes we think we were a fairly advanced civilization we had we we had astronomy because the uh, the ancient sumerians knew about pluto uh, that's 6,000 years ago they knew about Pluto and Uranus and Neptune, whereas we we just discovered those in the 30s. In the last century, right? We finished discovering, uh, mapping yeah. out our own solar system. So we know that at some point we had superior knowledge, then we were devastated. And also it proves, it's also proven in um, the bottleneck of the genetic human model uh, it shows that at some point we were reduced to about 10,000 living individuals and our entire population has regenerated from that number. Oh, wow. Yes, that's something that is uh, irrefutable. Now we have CRISPR technology. We're playing around with the human genome and things such as that. So we can, we actually know that we were reduced about that time frame down to, uh, you know, a very small amount of people on the planet. And we're actually let, less genetically diverse because of that. Yeah, we're not really ge very genetically in, diverse. In fact, in fact probably probably before the, the the cataclysm, probably we had a lot more ability with things like uh, the telepathy and and things such as such as that. We probably had probably it's now a lot of that has been lost, and perhaps the people that went, the uh, our cousins that we call them cousins now that went underground, they <laughs> they they kept that and they've enhanced that. That's why. That's why they they like people that have either more of a, of a proclivity towards uh, psychism, like has been in my family bloodline. That yeah. I they're a very psychic bunch. Yes. They really are. Steve yeah. plucks words out of my head constantly. <laughs> <laughs> even words that don't even exist. Yeah, really know. crazy words too. <laughs> yeah. So it's but I've you know I I, may, I I play music when I play music it'll just come to me. It just yeah. comes to me. I just I just hear it. You know just. Uh, but when we started with this new theory and we started throwing evidence at it, uh, well, how about this? Does it does it wash with this evidence? Does it wash with this evidence? For instance, the cattle mutilations. Uh, what would aliens want with the the eye, tongue, and sex organs of cattle in the millions? And the blood. 
But we we have an idea if they have herds underneath the ground, these herds have maybe become non-viable. So they have to steal surface DNA in order to continue making their herds, keeping their herds viable. We think that may be why they're taking human beings is that their race, their population has become less viable living underground. And using women on the surface as incubators for yes. hybrids and such as that, that's been that's been proven time and time again, where a woman was pregnant and at about the four month mark, the the uh, the fetus is gone and the doctor will say, you were pregnant. Now it shows no sign that you were pregnant. We're finding that about 10 percent yeah. of the abduct of abductees are reporting this phenomenon. Women who are taken, impregnated, and then four months later, the, the fetus, they're taken again and the fetus is taken. And uh, then years later, they're sometimes brought, uh, taken in once again, and they're introduced to their hybrid, a alien hybrid children. And of course, when we say alien, we, we don't really think they're completely aliens. We think they've just mutated living underground. I mean, think about what would, what would a human look like if it had been underground for 13,000 years? It might be paler. It might be, have big black eyes. It might be bald. It wouldn't need hair any longer to be warm. Uh, we think <laughs> that uh, the grays uh, represent possibly uh, types of humans that have mutated just because they've been living underground or, or they or they or or we were so far genetically advanced way past CRISPR that we needed a race that was you know less volatile like we humans are. I mean we we don't like being slaves. Yeah, you take you take a lot of the take a lot of the the anger and the fear out of out of a um out of the equation then you have a more uh, reliable um helper in a sense so, and then there's the i found that always funny that the nordic aliens are indistinguishable from human beings right and the uh did you ever hear about the story about the guy who went to the he landed in a his name was valiant thor mm -hmm. And it's a book uh, about it called A Stranger at the Pentagon, I think, uh, or yes. the White House. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, this valiant Thor guy lands in a spaceship in a Virginia field and asked to be taken to the president. And they take him to the Pentagon. And he stays with uh, the Pentagon and the, the White House for three years advising them. And he's described as a white, red-haired, Caucasian man. You know? <laughs> they have one picture supposedly of him, and he looks he looks just like your your average you know white guy from like the fifties, you, know? you know, the you know, clean cut, and it's it's kind of like you know where inspiration from the movies like uh, the day the earth stood was that the day the earth stood still? Uh, are you thinking about a deep impact? Oh no, the one with you know the one that was made where the guy's got the robot that says you oh know, yes like, yes uh, the that. day uh, the day the earth stood still mm -hmm. yeah. You know, this, there's so many parallels to this. Um, as you're talking in, um, you know, these, so, okay, let me, let me get out of my own head and just clarify here. So the theory is that there's a remnant that survived or evaded the flood, whatever this cataclysm was. Yes. yes. And they went to like this plateau region beneath Turkey, perhaps, and yes. maybe entered into the cave systems. Cause like 
like also the canes other, here in America, they all interconnect for the most we part. We think they sank uh, other arcs on different continents too, just to in order to survive the the cataclysm that they knew was coming. Right. Uh, did you ever see the movie Deep Impact? Uh, if I did, it was a long time ago. Yeah the 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 human race is about to be destroyed by an asteroid, and um, the plan b is to plan a is to blow the thing up before it kills us all but plan b is to sink these arcs deep underground deep enough where the uh the residents down there would be safe and they put their brightest and best scientists and right. they go underground where they're going to be nice and safe and we think that's maybe exactly what happened they saw it coming they sank arcs on different continents they sank themselves deep underground and then they had to stay there for a thousand years because of the horrible climatic dis uh, uh, cataclysm afterwards. The uh, the upheavals of the climate where you couldn't grow crops anymore. You know uh, that's why we, I think too why we were putting back into the Stone Age. And they kept their technology. They didn't lose their technology when they went underground, right? Whereas all us poor schmucks on the surface, we got. Blaster. <laughs> we, we, we we know they had they had advanced ability of being able to to uh, manipulate rock and um, mold and to melt rock and diffuse rock and you can see that uh, all over the world. Myself being a CB, I, I've done a lot of concrete pours throughout my life, and when I look at stuff at Puma Punko, those H blocks to me it looks more like a pour. Looks more like they basically set up a set up shop, and they basically said, "Okay, we can we can melt this stuff and just put it into a mold, and mm -hmm. it'd be a lot simpler yeah. to do it that way than have to do all this fancy cutting, this laser cutting. You just mold it, and they're it's absolutely like identical, block. one yeah. to the next to the next. The, the strata, the strata is exactly the same, just like you would get, like we do now when we do when we when we make you know a concrete blocks or right. whatnot. It's, it's the same. It's all sure. uniform, and some of the granite." Uh, rock at the Giza Plateau shows lathe marks from machine lathes. The machines aren't there. The diamonds aren't. There's never been a diamond discovered in Egypt, but it looks like they were cut with diamond encrusted lathe. They, they had technology we don't currently have. Right. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with Derek Olson? Um, he has a social media uh presence i guess you call it uh, a huge youtube channel uh megalithic oh. marvels okay yes I, th I thought that sounded familiar yes yeah um i, I was gonna say I've, I've had him on the show a couple times and we've talked about some of these things and you're right they look like somehow they made concrete with granite um yes. or right. we think whatever that what would you call that one mineral that was even tougher than granite Andesite. Andesite. Mm -hmm. Andesite, yep. That's uh, what uh, it's just Sexuamon is made out of. <laughs> yeah, it's in, it's incredible. It's almost like they uh it's almost like it was a solid wall and they just carved into it creases to look like blocks. They're so close together, you know what I mean? But but it they runs all the way fused. through. Almost yeah, like they yeah. were and they're slightly rounded. Almost right. like they built the thing and then maybe superheated it to where it's slightly sagged. Right. And they and they may be fused together. Wow. Uh, Saksuaman means uh, head of the falcon, I believe. And the, the myth, uh, I mean, the uh, the, the ancient uh, lore about Saksuaman, it was that it was built by a falcon that could spit an acid onto the rock to melt the, to melt the rock. 
uh, and of course it's uh, what's a falcon? It's a flying, you right. know, it's a flying bird. So I, I get this vision in my head of this flying machine that could spit acid at a rock and melt it. <laughs> and and they could obviously they could move it very easily to the, the rocks, right. the the stones, and and it's interesting how they 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 basically uh, offset the cuts just like a jigsaw puzzle because by doing that, uh, especially with earthquakes, with the shearing force and the up and down force. By actually having rocks put together like that and then fuse, it's actually stronger than if you had one solid piece because right. it it deflects it deflects the uh, the stress better that way. So, it's, in other words, withstand the the stress of time and, and the and the test of time. Machu Picchu is um, is situated over two earthquake faults, but those mm. walls are still standing. Yeah, I, I I can't help but just see all the parallels of. Of this theory, uh, how familiar are you guys with the uh, with the Nephilim of the Bible? Oh, very. Yes, uh, we've we re we've read Sitchin's work and yeah. um, and others too, and others too. Yeah, and uh, when you look at yeah. the Nephilim, you know they they say that they were the the sons of God, right? These watchers, they they descended, they took wives, they bred, and they had these offspring. These offspring are the Nephilim. And right. it said they were this this was in the days of Noah, and they were on the earth in those days and after. So it's very parallel. There's a there's a very big similarity here between these this race of people that were on the earth before the cataclysm and after. And if you look in uh, apocryphal texts and extra biblical texts, they they tell you that these these watchers they would exchange technology. Yes, you know, to to breed with humans, and yes. so they're they're this advanced culture, this advanced civilization that can breed with us. How yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if they're not humans, right? I mean, yeah, maybe genetic modification, but sounds like they were just having sex and making children that way. You know, and it's yeah, interesting but... how the Nephilim would the, would breed with the beautiful uh, the women, the beautiful women of of the earth, and create giants. Yes, okay. yeah, they were so, they were giants, the men of renown, mm -hmm. and uh, that that would even tie in with this valiant Thor guy, this this you know this big, large man with long flowing red hair. Uh, that, I don't know. It's just it's a uh, it's interesting. It's, this is I think, interesting. You know, let's say after the flood, and um, after the waters receded, they probably were they're down there, right? And they come up back onto the surface and they go, oh, God, we've got we've got all these surviving savages on the surface that don't know the, the least of anything. And we have to most of these uh, if you read these by um, ancient flood myth stories, a, a lot of them talk about how uh, that the human race had devolved into like cannibalism and barbarism and uh, a god flies in on a platform holding two lightning rods in his hand and comes and teaches humanity how to do, you know, uh, basically teaches us knowledge and skills and math and, and architecture and uh, not to eat each other and to how to grow crops and stuff like that. There's almost all of these stories talk about a God showing up after the flood 
to help humanity back onto their a tall, feet. A tall white god, either with red hair or with, with dark hair. Right. Uh, the Ver <laughs> Veracocha was the name in South America. Yeah, and he's, uh, of course, he's Caucasian. He has mm -hmm. a beard. He's not, he doesn't look like the natives of the area at all. And, but he, what he does look like is a Caucasian man with a beard. With advanced knowledge that knows everything, knows everything from mathematics right. to... And teaches the people. And, teaches the people. It's and a God. So we think at first the easiest way to manage us this is like this watcher thing where they come, they take care of us, they teach us, you know, things and uh and Ten, take wives. <laughs> Ten commandment type stuff. Yeah, they might have trouble uh again, they after thousands of years below, they might be having trouble breeding. They might be non-viable and need to take wives from the surface. So it became like a symbiotic relationship, but they had to, they were at first playing God, right? right? They had to play God, but now we're too sophisticated for that. They can't play God anymore. I think now they're playing space alien. Yeah. And we both think that the, that the uh, rediscovery of the, of the atom and the, uh, you know, nuclear weapons, really started to worry them because they live here i mean right. they they have a vested interest and it's not destroying ourselves because they need us and they need this planet so that's, that's... the thing that from um, um admiral bird's diary when he met with the master under the ice sheet to to discuss things with him the master said mostly we leave you guys alone we don't bother with your wars and your barbarity but because you've discovered nuclear weapons, we have to intervene now. We have to, uh, because you're you'll destroy yourselves with them. Yeah, they, they they had already been there and done that. Like you could you could say that you know Sodom and Gomorrah. Yep. And guess what he looked like? A man. <laughs> he was he looked like a tall Nordic looking man. Right. Uh, and uh, Bird describes his accent as uh, slightly Germanic, Germanic, slightly Germanic or Nordic, and. Uh, He's a white Caucasian old man telling, and he was calling, you know, he, he referred to a bird as my son several times in this mm -hmm. benevolent kind of way. And they even told us why they're, they said, don't worry, we'll, we'll protect the remnants of your society and your culture from destruction, which is tantamount, uh, in my opinion, to explaining why they're abducting people. Yeah, this is. This is uh, this is interesting because you would think if they survived this and everybody on the surface is wiped down to just a handful, really, yes, that they would have just enslaved us. They would have come back to the surface and uh, and kept our numbers low. But then you think, well, maybe we are enslaved. And they're working with our governments, and they're getting what they want. They get all the funding they need. Uh, stay out of, stay out of sight for the most part, and they can really rule the world, right? And and they get the genetic material they need, yeah, and we get a little dribs and drabs of technology yeah, there's, from them. There, there's one of my old favorite movies, both both Leslie and I like, called Sneakers, where Dan mm -hmm. Dan, Dan Aykroyd and Robert Redford were in that. And Dan Aykroyd, this is about a 35 year old movie. And he's one of these guys that believes all the conspiracy theories, right? Again, it's like 35 years ago. And so there's this one scene where Robert Redford walks in the room and Dan Aykroyd's talking. He says, and so Ike says, hey, you can take all the cow lips you want. Just give us your technology. 
you know. Uh, <laughs> ironically, we think they really was a meeting. Ironically, that might not be too far from the truth. <laughs> I know. Well, we think that Dan there Ackford really was a meeting between Eisenhower and you know the aliens yeah. to make this pact, this evil pact. We'll we'll keep your secret. We won't tell people you're there. And you can have all of the, if you need to take people for your genetic manipulations and experiments, and that's cow. fine, since we can't stop you anyway. And uh, and as many cow lips as you want, um, but just give us some of your technology. Yeah. We think that that's exactly what they've been doing and, and reverse engineering it in the private sector, which doesn't have to respond to FOIA requests, you know, Freedom right. of Information Act requests. Right. Bigelow, the guys like that. You know. Yeah. Bigelow is a good example. Yeah. Bigelow is a good example. <laughs> yeah. 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 Something else unsettling with this, too, is today, off air in a private conversation with somebody I cannot name, uh, they're a Border Patrol agent. And they were, I guess they just wanted to get it out. They said that it doesn't make any sense the way things are, are working. He said, it's like we're all livestock and we're being yes. kept on separate ranches. Yep. You're not allowed in without paperwork. You're not allowed out without paperwork. And he said, and he doesn't understand this, you know, the migration patterns, not just the Southern border. He's actually at the Northern border. Uh, he doesn't understand how or why certain, certain groups and certain people at certain times are let in and out. He said, but it's like, letting livestock in from another ranch and then keeping livestock out and how he feels like the governments around the world look at us just like livestock. And now I'm talking to you guys the very same day. <laughs> and it's about, you know, how these aliens for lack of a better word are using us like livestock. So there must yeah. be a connection between the government and these aliens, right? Um, why why yeah. is the government involved? And what, what is the connection here? Well, it was it was to do with uh, that meeting with Eisenhower. We yeah. want their technology, and we're willing to let them run their breeding programs and their uh, yeah their a abductions. Lot, a lot a lot of interesting things happened. Like for instance, with Truman. Who really, you know, set up uh, Majestic Twelve? That's far as we can tell. Right. But also, two people forget that in 1948, May 12, 1948, with uh, through uh, with David Ben Gurion um, negotiated the the you know the current day um, uh, Israel. Um, David Ben Gurion through um, Truman started uh, started uh, basically giving Israel a, a new place in the world. But uh, what what the where they where Truman had to. Uh... He was, it was during World War II that the uh, aliens, as we, or cousins, as we call them, began to show their hand because of the use of nuclear weapons in World War II. Yes. They started following our planes and our, uh, our uh, ships on maneuvers. And uh, then they, they started following our bases and anything to do with nuclear bases. They were, they were um, dogging them. They were, uh, and then the Malmstrom incident where they actually shut down all, 10 of our nuclear warheads at that, uh, that facility in Montana. 
uh, just to show us that they can, I think. <laughs> they, they've done that in Great Britain, too, and other countries, too. But oh, that, yeah. you think that's the vast majority of their motivation right now is they are following our military everywhere we go, on every maneuver we go, because they are afraid that we're going to blow up the world and kill them, too. And mm. so they are following our military. Uh, the the Tic Tac incident, when Fravor and uh, Ryan, the the two uh, Ryan uh, Graves rather, and um, and the other pilot Fravor was for the Tic Tac incident. They were the ones at the disclosure uh, hearings and the congressional hearings this oh, this summer. summer. Yeah. And uh, the one thing I didn't know, I heard a lot of stuff I knew already, but uh, one thing I hadn't heard was that this is happening every single time our military goes on maneuvers. They are following us every time. And I think it's because they're afraid we're going to blow up the world. Wow. They have to monitor what we're doing. That's their big motivation right now. That's one thing they didn't get in the, um, in the meeting with Eisenhower. We wanted their technology and they wanted to be able to continue doing their, their thing. But we, they also were really trying to get us to denuclearize and they didn't get that. And so they have no choice but to dog us everywhere we go, at least where, wherever we're bringing nuclear uh, weapons with us. All right. Wow. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. Um, I'm going to have to get my hands on a copy of that book. <laughs> and, <laughs> let's, let's, we'll, uh, it's, on, it's on Amazon, if, uh, well, or we can send you one. Uh, well, let's, let's send you one, yeah, and uh, we'll sign it for you and everything. Or PDF, <laughs> too. We have PDF, too, you can do. So. Yeah, we do have a PDF reader. Uh, do you do you have a prefer preference? Uh, if you if you want to send me a signed copy, I will pay you for it. I don't mind if you have any way. To <laughs> no, it'd be our pleasure to, to your uh, pleasure send it. Absolutely, thank you so much. At my pleasure. Um, it's, it's yeah, been it should be awesome. your um, mailing address, and I'll uh, on that uh, Instagram account where we first hooked Not up, sure. uh, and I'll uh, I'll mail you one out. All right. I I do have one final question, and then I would like for you guys to, to tell everybody where they can find you and your book and about maybe any future works you might have planned, because as creative as the two of you are, I doubt you're going to do a <laughs> one and done with the book here. Um, okay, the only question that I have, and it might be in the book, and I don't want to I don't want to ruin anything. Who gave them? And I, I believe in God. So if it's God, that that's a far enough answer for me. Who gave them the warning to to go underground before that cataclysm? We believe. Now remember, these beings are able to use telepathy to communicate. Um, and most of the uh, people that were contacted and warned were done so in their mind. They heard a disembodied voice in their mind. Uh, giving them instructions to to build, either build, if they were at low ground, they had to build an ark. If they were at high ground, they had to go to higher ground. And if they, uh, if they were in the middle of the Anatolian plateau, they were told to dig in. Hmm. Was that your exact question or were you asking about how did they know to give everybody a warning? Yeah, that was, my, my question was, was uh, who gave the warning? You know the 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 voice right. they heard is it is it the voice of God? Did he was, did he give a like a hey everybody get down? We think it was uh, the people who had discovered that they were about to be, I mean, that the Hiawatha asteroid was coming in. Oh, okay. And uh, this this Our advanced cousins. society of people that 
that are we don't know who exactly, but they we think they saw it coming and uh, decided like to a, warn the entire world. Like we can almost do now. We can we can we're monitoring the asteroid belt and things like that. They gotcha. they they could see it was coming, and I I think they had a little bit of sympathy for us that they didn't want to. Stated number one, they didn't want the planet to be uh, blown up. It, it it is in our book. Some more of our theories that go into more detail. Um, it's it's a lot you know, more detail. Yeah, more detail <laughs> for sure. But anyways, it was basically us. You know, in a sense, yeah. we warned okay. ourselves. So some somebody watching the skies, yes. science. You know, the astronomers yes. are like, oh, okay, I see something coming. We got yeah. we got time to get out of get here. Get the word out. More and, more or less. Yeah. And we think that. They were not, we believe they were not just more advanced than us, technologically speaking, but also in mental ways. Uh, it, it, it's in our book. Uh, we talk about if you raise your kundalini energy and, you know, do chanting and meditation and open your chakras, human beings actually start to begin to be telepathic ourselves. We begin to be clairvoyant ourselves. I kind of believe this is a, a human birthright. That if you're just trained properly from birth, that we would all have this ability, but um, perhaps they it's atrophied in us over the thousands of years of not using it, and in them it, it has not atrophied because they they kept it up. Hmm. Maybe I they saw, didn't calcify their pineal gland with. Uh, <laughs> I saw I saw I, I saw a uh, blew my mind. I saw a one and a half year old uh, boy, a, a little white kid that was. Uh, sitting at a piano that was playing a simplified version of clear de lune he it's almost like debussy came back uh remanifested remanifested in in a in a child he's sitting at the piano and he already knows without music he knows how to play debussy you know it's it's ridiculous and you're starting to see more and more children being born with Abilities accelerated like abilities yeah. you know we they think call we're them... actually modifying our population yeah star children it's it's true right. you know, the brains are like wired different each generation is being wired a little more sophisticated and that could that's be part of their their breeding program maybe yeah, that's the their motivation is to bring us up to their level more and, and make us less violent for one thing right <laughs> bring us out of our barbarity as they as they turn yeah, we're it. very barbaric yeah. we just do it different ways now yeah, we are a warrior race aren't we so yeah, we are. So people, oh, you're right. We are starting a second book, and um, we are. This one we, you can get on Amazon and Ingram. Uh, it is who they are and what they're up to by Leslie and Stephen Shaw, and we also have a website with several blogs at uh, whotheyarebook.com, and we're on Instagram and Facebook at leslie.shaw.author. And, and the, we're posting a lot of what uh, we're, we're trying to be post educational stuff on um, our Instagram page about about this phenomenon. We we try to stay as much as possible out of the rabbit holes. We like to try and use science and logic and just common sense. That's what would what would you do? And what would other people do in a, in a certain, you know, if, if right, like, for instance, you knew a cataclysm was going to happen. What would we do? Like, and one thing I like about our theories is that it doesn't require Einstein Rosen bridges. It doesn't require wormholes. It doesn't require time travel and it doesn't require interdimensionality. It's right. just 
regular science. <laughs> right. In fact, even in the Bible, they talk about, you know, even in the book of Enoch and, and they, you know, in the Mahabharata, they, they talk about these fire breathing dragons or these vehicles coming down. That spaceships. Spaceships. But, but they have know. fire coming out of them. Yeah, so yeah. what does that remind you of? Good old Rock, plain, plain old rocketry. rocketry. Yes, correct. Now, now we know they're using nukes because, uh, some people who get too close to UFOs are actually getting electromagnetic radiation or electro. What was it? Were they called? Uh, yeah, radiation burns. Yeah, at, yeah. and and, they, and they've advanced too. You can tell what the uh, you know they've advanced too. They probably have. They're definitely further advanced than we are as far as that's why they can you know move from zero to ten thousand in a split second. So they, no, they yeah, so they they've they, got they stuff have we don't have for sure. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah. But they're here, and they're here, and they're they've got a reason why they're here. It's not not just for a research and development project. It's necessity, right? Yeah, I, I agree. They're definitely here. I had my UFO experience uh, with a witness with my dad in oh, two thousand nine. It's my my big one. I've, I've seen a couple of lights before, but I had a big experience in two thousand nine. <laughs> um, cool. Maybe I after to uh, all about it. Yeah, I'll. I'll I had to bring you back on the show and tell you yes, all about it. another time. Another time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you guys will come back on, I'll I'll tell you all about it because it it I've still never seen some of the colors I saw that day. Um it's wild. So yeah, we'll get you a book. Absolutely. I give me I an address it. and I'll get you a book, I promise. All right. It's uh I can say it on the air. It's uh if you want to write it down, I got it for you here. Right, because I I give this address pretty much every week on the show for people that want to send stuff in because I I do a lot of book reviews. It seems I'm like <laughs> go ahead. Uh, yeah, it's P.O. Box one four five three, Chapmanville, West Virginia. C H A P as in Peter M A N V I L L E, West Virginia, and the zip is two five five zero eight. Two five five zero eight. Got it. You guys West are amazing. Virginia. West Virginia. Got it. All set. <laughs> yeah, I'm, we'll I'm, sign it too. I promise. <laughs> I appreciate that. I do. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. Hey, th thanks again for coming on. You guys have been wonderful. Um, I will put a link to your website and I will try to put a link to the book on Amazon in the show notes so people could just click the hyperlink and go straight to it. Okay. Super. And send us that. Link, if you would, and I'll uh, I'll post it on our social media as well. Will do. All right. Thanks. You guys have a great evening. Keep Bye safe now. out there, okay? Thank you. you. All Thank right. You. God bless. God, God bless. bless you. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you have an experience or an encounter that you'd like to share, holler at me. You can reach me at thebumppodcast at gmail.com or by the bump phone at 304-812-0553. Leave a text or a voicemail either way and I'll get back to you. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. Stick around after this for a special invitation.
personally ready to submit your life to God and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
The book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, says it really simply, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. To be born again, to start a new life as a child of God, to join God's army, to rise up against the evil forces that you know are all around you. You don't have to do it alone. I love you. Jesus loves you. And may God bless you. When I was young All the wicked Things that I'd done And in one night On my knees I prayed I asked the Lord For some better days Yes, I went to the altar. I fell down on my knees and I prayed. I asked the Lord to forgive me. Now I'm living. have a friend who had grew ill doctor said the only way he would make it would be God's will he called me up one night just to say brother if you would So I went to the altar, I fell down on my knees and I prayed, I asked the Lord if he would heal him, and now he's living. If you're here feeling lonely and your burdens you no longer can bear, just come on up to this altar and take it to the Lord. In prayer, come on.
Better days, better days. 